some of the trips I used to lead in uh, Jackson Hole area, we would take, you know, groups out in the Wind River Range. And then, um, you know, you'd uh, spend a day just floating on the snake. And then uh, the trip would finish with a summit bid on uh, the Grand Teton. Um, and so those would typically be like three-week trips. And, and you're getting taking paid out- to do this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. From Alda, this is the Protect Your Wild podcast a show about founders, athletes, and influencers, and how their passion for the environment led to their actions and career paths today. I'm Colin Campbell, and this week I'm having a chat with Bill Johnson, the founder of Recover Brands. They're a company that makes entirely recycled apparel, and actually uh, who we went to when we were making shirts for Alda. Everybody's loved them. They're fantastic, soft, durable, etc., etc. But I think you guys are going to love this conversation. And if you want to learn more about Recover, be sure to check out our blog post on them at aldalifestyle.com. All right. Enjoy the episode. Thanks for having me. Excited to, uh, excited to talk with you today. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to bring you on. You guys, when uh, we were looking to print t-shirts, actually, we did a very thorough search and you know the company that came out on top to do that was recover so um real quick i guess for everybody what what kind of makes your your business unique yeah so so we really specialize in making products out of uh, 100% recycled materials so our core product is is definitely t-shirts but we also have a line of sportswear, outerwear, some different accessories like socks and beanies. But um, really the whole emphasis has been on using uh, 100% recycled materials and everything. So um, we try to not only think about the materials that we're using, uh, but the way we're making products. So, um, you know, thinking about the environmental sustainability, but also the social aspects of it as well. So we're a very mission-driven company, and um, and really try to do everything the right way from uh, from start to finish. So, um, if you're, you know, quickly boil it down, I'd say the the hundred percent recycled apparel is is kind of the the quick and easy thing that that makes us uh, unique. Yeah, absolutely, and that I mean those details, the attention to detail showed, and when looking into it, like your supply chain was the big one, right? You keep uh, basically everything local in the North Carolina area, and um, yeah, just across the board, you're one of the companies I've been very, very impressed with. You and a couple others, like Chico Bag is on top of their stuff, you know, and uh, Bureo, but man, yeah, kudos on, on what you built here. Awesome. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so before we dive into uh, like kind of what got you inspired on the environment and everything like that, I'm starting to to incorporate beer because I, I like drinking beer. So I got one uh, from North Carolina where Recover is based out of. It is uh, the pernicious Indian Pale Ale from uh, Wicked Weed Brewing Company in Asheville. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna crack it here and sip awesome. on this a little bit while we while we chat. Yeah. You, pick, um, you picked a good one. That's uh, that's a, that's definitely a, a a tasty beer from uh from right down the road. Oh so. yeah. Damn, yeah, that's that is good, but it's seven point three percent. So hopefully, I won't <laughs> yeah. start fading out yeah. as time goes on. Um, yeah. Cool. So, well, first of all, uh, you know what really connected you to nature first? I I find it usually comes from something in somebody's childhood. So, what really kind of brought you in? 
Yeah, you know, I, I've been into outdoor sports really my whole life, um, and I think that all started when I was a little kid. I, I started going to um, to summer camp in Brevard, North Carolina, mm-hmm. which is um, a really cool mountain town in western North Carolina, about um, 45 minutes outside of Asheville. Uh, but started going to summer camp there when I was you know, seven years old and just got exposed to um, the outdoors at a really early age. Um, so whether it was, you know, kayaking, um, rafting, mountain biking, um, just being outside in general and kind of fell in love with outdoor sports from that standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, my family also spent a lot of time, um, at the coast growing up as well. So, you know, got, got to, you know, go out and learn to surf when I was pretty young oh, and, nice. um, you know, get out on, on sailboats and that sort of thing. And, um, I think a lot of it just kind of had to to do with, you know, being outside a ton as a kid. And, um, you know, just, that was kind of the way of life as much as anything. And, you know, being from North Carolina, we, um, we're pretty fortunate that we have an amazing coastline, um, as well as, you know, awesome mountains. Um, so yeah, we're both within very, very close striking distance of where I grew up. Yeah. I was going to say, it's pretty lucky to have have both access to all those sports. Like I got, you know, in Florida, I got the rivers and the springs and, and some, some, you know, what of a beach, obviously, but having both of them at your fingertips, man, that's a dream. No doubt, man. I, yeah, it take, you got to get a little bit older before you realize, uh, you know, you're lucky in a lot of ways. And I, I think it, I, I certainly was with where I grew up. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, I was similar in the way that I think it was really sports that first kind of got me into it. Um, it, it builds a real appreciation. Like when you're in the ocean, for example, the power of the waves, if it wants to toss you, you don't have, there's not much you can do about it. And, uh, and when you, you know, when you're little and you have those memories getting tumbled around in the waves or something, you get disoriented and then you pop up and you're kind of stoked in a weird way. No doubt. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so what, uh, town in North Carolina did you grow up in? So, so I grew up in a town called Statesville, North Carolina, which, um, is is actually dubbed the crossroads of the future where uh mm. it's pretty funny it's where 77 and uh interstate 77 and 40 intersect we just wait okay. we're just, we, we, the the joke is that we're, we're kind of waiting for that to happen <laughs> <laughs> um, but no it's it's a it's a cool cool town um kind of classic uh you know small um, american town i mean it's about thirty five thousand people okay. um, my dad's family has been there for i guess uh probably five generations. So like wow. it, you know, a lot of families been from there and, uh, just kind of a cool, um, kind of classic Southern North Carolina town. Nice. Yeah. That's, uh, must've been pretty cool having family around near you and everything. We had a lot of, a lot of people personally that moved, moved out in a way like extended family was like all over the place. Yeah. But. Yeah, for yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think um, and I, I'm certainly close with a, um, a lot of my family and f- fortunate that, you know, they're kind of scattered all, all yeah, through in other areas. But a lot of them are in, in all parts of North Carolina, which is really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what are people we mentioned earlier before the podcast? You said you feel like a, a lot of people kind of miss out on the beauty of the the, you know, southeast coast kind of so or specifically Western Carolina, right? And in, in that area. Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, the fact that the mountains aren't, aren't as tall, you know, we, oh, yeah. uh, are, are, really aren't as, aren't as big, you know, we don't have the, we certainly have a little, you know, some ski resorts. I don't want to take anything away from, from them, but at the same, and it, you know, it, enough so that I, like, 
grew up skiing and uh and snowboarding around here but you know you're talking about a um mount mitchell which is the the highest peak on the east coast is only you know just over six thousand feet so it's uh you know when you're comparing it to a lot of the the western uh or the rocky mountains really um, i just think it's over here left left and right what is (laughs) it 53 in colorado i think um right but it's so i think i think from that standpoint i think i think it just gets overlooked a lot um just the you know the Appalachian mountains, um, just don't really have that kind of ski town feel quite as much. And so I think people overlook that, but, um, you know, from an outdoor sports standpoint, um, the mountains are incredible. You know, personally, I'm a, I'm a big mountain biker and honestly, I would put our, the mountain biking in Western North Carolina up against about anything. Um, the terrain is incredible and you still get a lot of vertical, um, uh, elevation change. So if you're going from 5,000 feet to, 1500 feet, you know, you're still getting a really nice descent. And I think, uh, that part of it probably gets overlooked. It's just, you're just not at at higher elevation. So, um, that, I think that as much as anything is probably one of the reasons why, uh, you know, Western North Carolina falls off the map a little bit when you're talking about it on a national uh, scale. Right. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard that a few times from people actually that the mountain biking specifically there is just phenomenal. Is that kind of like why you leaned into it? It's just like, it's, you know, the best of the best right around you for sure. I mean, it's just, it's, it's honestly world-class. I mean, there's, um, I think I'll, the terrain is, is really tough as well. It's, it's always, and I, I, I do a lot of riding out on the West coast too. And, mm-hmm. um, it's so much fun. I, you know, love riding on the West coast, but it's a lot different. You know, the trails are a lot faster. There tend to be a lot more groomed on the West coast. Whereas around here, it's really rocky. Rudy can, Roots, can get yeah. pretty can get pretty rowdy. So, uh, you know, a lot of times when people are making their way, um, East for the first time, people are just shocked at, uh, the terrain that we have in, in Western North Carolina. It's like more technical. It sounds like, or like, like for sure. Those yeah, yeah. Challenges. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Nice. Um, so did, uh, you know, mountain biking and stuff like that. I, I feel like with me being into sports too, it kind of develops your personality in a certain way, makes you, you know, challenge and push yourself. So, how has that kind of like, you know, impacted you beyond the sport? Yeah, you know, to mountain biking specifically, I would say is, um, is, you know, kind of huge for me and, and, and kind of a great, um, you know, metaphor for life in general. And I use it on a daily basis. Um, it's kind of a personal outlet, you know, whether that's, um, you know, going out after work and, um, you know, just riding trails for, for kind of exercise and like, uh, almost, um, you know, mental release. It's, it's great in that aspect. So I ride on a daily basis and, uh, nice. and, you know, kind of rely on it, um, as, as much for kind of just personal health as much as anything. But then, you know, when you're thinking about it and kind of comparing it to life as, as, as you mentioned, and just developing your personality, mm-hmm. um, you know, it shapes a lot of what you like to do, you know, whether that's, um, you know, planning trips or, you know, looking at what you're doing on the weekends or, or pushing yourself to, you know, be more active, more healthy and, and just live a, a better lifestyle. So, um, I think in a lot of ways it's, uh, it's, it's certainly important to my life, but it, 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 definitely a healthy hobby across the board. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Keep protected. Of course. As long as yeah, you no doubt. In good shape. <laughs> yeah. You can't no avoid doubt. a lot of the, you know, scrapes and bruises and stuff. I'm sure anytime you wipe, but yeah. It, how do you uh, sure. go about doing, you said you uh, biked on the West Coast as well. Do you just rent bikes when you're out there? Or? Um, 
so it, it kind of started actually my first time riding on the west coast was actually in moab um oh, nice. and um rented bikes out there it was uh it, you know just an awesome trip and you kind of get hooked on it uh from that from that standpoint and i got a, a group of buddies and we try to try to do at least um an annual kind of west coast trip um one place in particular we'd love to go is uh is up to whistler um kind of ride that uh well try to hit like bellingham washington on the way up and then squamish and um in whistler in british area. columbia yeah yeah it's, Jeez, it's, it's so, so much fun yeah it's it's uh it's unreal and it's a completely different style for us but it's a it's like one of those things where it's um, you know, it just becomes something you look forward to. And then you, it's a, I think it's a great way to travel as well. Cause you get into, um, you know, local communities and kind of get to experience the culture, you know, you're riding right. all day, but then you're checking out restaurants and breweries, which is always fun. And, uh, and getting to see kind of another side of the city that you might not normally see if you were just, you know, traveling for, um, for kind of kicks. Right. So, uh, Absolutely. yeah, I, I, I love it. It's, uh, it's definitely one of my favorite ways to, to, to see the world yeah i'm hoping to do that with climbing soon i've been getting more you know moving from florida i didn't do it much before of course but now that i'm out here i've been getting more and more into it and uh hopefully can do some trips soon i got buddies going to kenya coming up to, oh, to wow. do some mountaineering and climb mount kenya i guess uh very cool but yeah yeah that's uh that that, that sounds sounds amazing i and i think it's kind of the same idea you know it's yeah. like such a great way to you know travel and experience other places and right. give you a reason for going. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, so. I saw here too. Uh, after you graduated, you were an outdoor guide for a while, leading some backpacking trips and things like that. Yeah. So, so actually, um, I started working for an outdoor adventure company. Uh, literally, I think I started the the training the day after I graduated. So it was, <laughs> nice. uh, it kind of moved right into it, but I, I got, um, it was a pretty, pretty sweet gig right out of school Sounds where, like um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I got to travel a lot and, uh, and basically the kind of the, the whole idea of it was, um, we would take teenagers out on like basically three week trips, which would be, um, a combination of, of several sports. There'd always be in a, a backpacking section, um, and then, you know, depending on the trip, sometimes rafting, sometimes mountaineering. Um, so to kind of give you an example, um, some of the trips I used to lead in, uh, Jackson hole area, we would take, a, you know, groups out in the wind river range. And then, um, you know, you'd, uh, spend a day just floating on the snake. And then, uh, the trip would finish with a summit bid on, uh, the grand Teton. Um, and nice. so those would typically be like three week trips and, and you're getting paid out. to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, so, so here's, here's the kicker to it. Uh, it was, it would be, you know, myself and then one other leader and we would have, uh, 10 to 12 high school students with us that we had oh, to take care of for three weeks. So, um, that, that's house. where the pay part of it came in, but it, it was actually a blast and, um, and definitely, um, a, you know, kind of the ideal job right out of school. I ended up doing working for that company for, for four years. And I, I think that work in particular, um, kind of helped me realize how much I loved the environmental education aspect of it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, certainly the outdoor sports were 
is kind of what drew me into it. And I loved being outside and, you know, that part of it was a natural fit, but, um, leading the trips, I, I think it kind of opened my eyes towards that educational aspect and, um, really just educating people about environmental stewardship. And, you know, we were big into practicing leave the trace ethics and, right. um, that was kind of the core of what we were teaching on the trips. Obviously there were a lot of other, um, you know, skills you would try to, um, incorporate into everything you're doing. But at the end of the day, that was kind of the overall theme of it was, you know, you're trying to encourage people to, um, you know, be, or leave no trace, but then, you know, teach them to, to appreciate nature and being outside and, and just be ultimately better people. And, uh, I think that that, uh, that had a big impact on me and kind of helped steer me towards, um, wanting to do something that was focused around environmental education and, um, kind of how the, a lot of the ideas for recovery were born. Uh, you know, we even have in our mission now, and it has been since the beginning is, is an educational component to it where we really try to educate, inspire people to be better stewards of the environment and live a more sustainable lifestyle. And so, um, that's kind of been the DNA of the, or in the DNA of the company since the beginning. And I think that experience was, was certainly a big driver for me and in, in helping me realize that that's what I like to do. Right. And when these, these kids have to think about, I guess, leave no trace as, you know, you're thinking about things on a pretty small scale. Like, you know, a lot of people might think, Oh, if I just toss this one thing, doesn't matter. Right. Or if I just do X, Y, or Z, not a big deal. But when you're thinking about it in the leave no trace mentality, it like hopefully will translate to the rest of their life where they realize you know, all of these things that they're doing will leave a trace, right? And they hopefully make those connections. That, that, that's exactly right. And I, I think, you know, I, one example of where I saw it as much as anywhere is, you know, when you're backpacking with a group and you're selecting a campsite and like, you're literally like trying to get, get everyone excited to make it look like no one was ever there. Right. You know, that, and and, you know, if that's, if that's the goal, you know, it gets, it gets everyone excited to, you know, think about the way they're, you know, disposing of their waste or, you know, cleaning up after themselves. And I think that that's just a great, um, mentality to carry with you, you know, into other parts of life. Um, it's to your point of kind of the, the, the greater whole. Did you have any, uh, like scary or close calls or anything happen like that with any of your students? Ah, uh, nothing too major. There were, that's um, that's probably actually, a good thing. The, yeah, no <laughs> doubt. No doubt. There were, I was, I was fortunate in that regard. There were, uh, some of the other folks were, were not quite as lucky in that sense. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I, nothing too major. There were certainly a couple of scares here and there where it was, but pretty minor and, and stuff. You kind of, um, you know, after a couple hours went away, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't anything, uh, too major. So it was, it was good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's always, of course, if they're relatively unexperienced with outdoor stuff on top of, you know, just being high schoolers, which are generally idiots in a lot of ways. (laughs) For sure. Yeah. (laughs) You know, just looking to do irresponsible things. It's, it's, yeah, that's a good thing. You're able to, to to keep things pretty, uh, pretty mild. Yeah. No no doubt. (laughs) Um, so yeah, you also, you know, started recover at a, at a pretty young age as well. Right. So I just want to ask, cause you know, I'm myself, I'm 24 right now and, you know, trying to build this media company and educate through, you know, sharing stories like your own, but, um, yeah, what was it like for you kind of starting up pretty young? Yeah. For, you know, there's, I, I think there's, uh, a lot of benefit to starting young and then, you know, some things that, you know, might be more challenging, but, you know, in my case, I, I think 
one of the biggest benefits is, um, you know, you're, you're, you're kind of learning on the go in a lot of ways. And, you know, some of the things that you don't know that you might realize when you're a little bit older, or have a little bit more experience may hold you back at the time. And so sometimes kind of a little bit of that ignorance is a good thing, right, um, yeah. where you're, you know, you're kind of, you have know, really ambitious and really excited for what you're doing. And, um, so I think that that's kind of a, a you know, definitely a, can help, but in a lot of ways, sometimes that can slow the process a little bit too. You know, you're, you get, you're learning on the fly. You don't necessarily, um, have, you know, older executives in front of you that are, you know, showing you the ropes or, or kind of steering you along. You certainly have advisors and you know, mentors and people you look up to, but there's not necessarily a roadmap when you're starting from scratch. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, from, from that standpoint, there's, there's definitely pros and cons to doing it, doing it when you're young. Um, in my personal case, uh, it was interesting cause I was, I couldn't really, you know, I was so passionate about it from the sustainability aspect and knew that I wanted to get into sustainability. It was hard for me to think about, you know, getting into a career or something that was not focused around, right. um, sustainability. And so I was just like, no, I, I'm definitely, know that this is what I want to do. I felt like, um, there was a sort of a calling in that aspect. Um, at the same time, you know, it's also, I, I finished up, I graduated college in May of 2008. So if you kind of go back to that time, um, you know, it's a, right when the recession was starting essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was an interesting time to, to try to, um, start a business when, you know, everything was kind of tanking. And, uh, and, and so in some ways that, I think that that was a real benefit and, and kind of a good thing for me because there's in some in a lot of ways there's nowhere to go but up and you yeah. know you can uh, you know you kind of experience things at, at the bottom and so um, you know you just kind of have to make the most of whatever situation you're, you're in where you know somebody could make the same argument you know who started a business a year or two years ago where yeah they're com- they're starting it when the economy is as strong as it's, you know, it's ever been. And, um, you know, so there's a, a lot of benefit from that side, but I know for me personally, it was, uh, it was an interesting time to, to start something and probably like, you know, being younger when you're doing it, um, you know, it may have stalled things or taken a little bit longer to do it, but, um, I feel like that almost makes you appreciate it more and, and kind of sure. helps you stay true to your, your vision and what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's the, I, I like the, kind of in it for the long haul approach. I think there's a, a lot of people that, uh, especially nowadays with a, a lot of hype around startups and stuff like that, they want to go see if I can raise like as much money as I possibly can or something. Like, let me see if I can get like $5 million and then, <laughs> you know, and, and what are they going to do with it? And then it's the boom and bust mentality. Um, but yeah. For for sure. It, it's always, uh, it's always interesting to me. And I, I still get that question all the time of, people who are probably thinking about it more from a, um, you know, raising money and trying to sell it fast and that sort of thing. And that, that's just never been the the purpose of doing this or, or the, the initial intent. It was more so of like, you know, true passion for sustainability. And this is something I want to do for a long time. It's hard for me to think of, uh, of, of doing something else. Yeah. And, you know, the cool thing with our brand is it really gives us a unique platform to, to be able to incorporate a lot of different initiatives and, and passion projects that, you know, we, I care about, our team cares about that mean a lot to us. And the brand is kind of a vehicle to accomplish a lot of those things. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, it's pretty exciting in yeah. that regard. 
as you grow, it's like what puzzle pieces can we like tack on to this picture we're making, and then for sure, you know, just keep expanding from there, like building off of the the core business that you've established. That's that's what yeah gets me excited too. Is like not where you're at now, but the possibilities. Like if I keep just you know chunking away at this thing, building building my uh, reputation or whatever, one person at a time, you know, where could that get me in like ten years? A- absolutely, um, and you know, it gives you a chance too. You can. You can focus on those those core pieces of your business, and, um, and you know you never know what doors might open as a result of that. Right, very true. Um, did you guys ever have any like, I guess, pivot points along the way, or like, you know, crossroads you came to and, and really decided to lean one way or another? Yeah, uh, that's a great question, and um, you know, I think it, it, we there's definitely pivots here and there. I think um, any kind of successful entrepreneur, at least in my opinion, you've kind of have to be receptive to feedback or what the markets are calling for and willing to adjust and pivot. Um, but I, I think that there's also a, a fine line with that where you have to stay true to your convictions and kind of the reasons you got into business. So, um, you know, there's, it's just kind of having that open mind, but also staying true to the vision. That's the kind of the balancing act and the fine line. So I definitely, there definitely have been pivots along the way. I'd, I'd say that the biggest one early on was um, making the more of the decision to go into a lot of the wholesale and co-branded um, aspects of our business. You know, when we first started, a lot of the ideas were, okay, there's this technology that we really want to utilize. We want to um, build this brand around utilizing 100% recycled materials. We can make really nice products with it. We'll focus on recover as a brand and sell traditional um, channels that way. And we, we still do sell through those channels. And it's actually kind of growing more for us now, especially as we're getting our name more and more out there. Nice. But um, one of the big pivots early on was um, recognizing the void in the market for more of the, the custom kind of wholesale business where we're, we're able to work with other companies and co-brand products. Um, we can, you know, do stuff that's built more around their brand and help them tell the brand story. And I, I think that's actually been um, just a, one of the biggest parts of our growth and development from the standpoint of um, we're really we're really unique in the marketplace in that standpoint. We're able to partner up with a lot more brands than we would um, and do and, and get a lot more product out there. We're able to um, fine tune our products and do more volume than we would if we were just focused on our brand. So I think it's right. actually helped us grow and mature as a brand and really get our name out there more. So that that was definitely one of the bigger pivots that um, that we made. And and honestly, it was uh, really kind of. I was getting out there and, and calling on new accounts and, and seeing some of the traditional orders you would get through retail channels and, um, you know, talked with some some companies that were focused more on um, printing their, their own label on our stuff. And um, just the orders were honestly better. It was uh, it was yeah. just a better it was a better model for us. And there just were not companies in the marketplace doing it. The kind of the blank T-shirt market is so dominated by really large manufacturers that it was an sure. it was an easy way for us to come in with a more authentic story and um, and kind of position ourselves as a as, as a leader in that sustainable apparel space. Yeah, and I I think it's great too because it gets the awareness out to other companies that may, may not have otherwise. You know, if, if you guys weren't there as an option, for example, you know, they might have gone with just whatever your traditional suppliers are. And yeah, for, for sure. You know, there's, um, 
you know, in terms of a recycled product, I mean, there's, you know, a, one of the large manufacturers has a, has their recycled line, which is only 8% recycled, right. which, yeah. uh, you know, you, is kind of the you le- even be able to be able to call it recycled line at that it, point. Yeah. I, well, it's actually the legal minimum. Is it? Oh, geez. <laughs> yeah, Why is yeah, that I, legal? I think, that makes no sense. I, I don't Jeez. know where that, I don't know where that came from, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting because there really are not other options for it. And, yeah. and so I think it's, um, that's kind of where we've, we've tried to fit in and, uh, and establish ourselves. And, you know, the cool thing with that is the more we, the, the better we do with that part of our business, it does allow us to get into other aspects and focus on some of our own branded products and, and work on other things. So, um, it's definitely been a good way for us to, to develop the product and the brand. Yeah. And the product's great. I mean, everybody that, like friends and people that have bought the the Alda shirts that we did with you guys, everybody has been uh, very very satisfied. They're like, yeah, very soft, very like yeah. I don't know. Not trying to you know toot your horn too much or blow you know smoke up <laughs> no, the no, here, but <laughs> I only got positive feedback and you know through many washes and stuff of my own shirts, it hasn't faded or worn down or anything yet. So. Well, that that great. that's great to hear, and that's certainly a um, a huge. Um, thing for us is is making sure that the product is comfortable and durable and something yeah. that people want to wear. You know, I think that that's that's been one of the the tough um, kind of hurdles to get over with what people. Uh, and this this was more true, you know, five six years ago when you know you're telling people it's a hundred percent recycled shirt, they automatically think it's going to be. Um, you know, itchy like or just or not. Weird. Yeah. 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 You're weird. like, ah, oh, this isn't going to, this isn't going to be comfortable. Like, oh, to somebody wear. else had something with this at yeah. some point. Like that's weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, but it's, it's cool. Cause the more we get product out there, people realize that it is comfortable. And it's, it's also been really interesting to see in the last year or two, um, how that mindset is shifting quite a bit mm-hmm. where I think you're getting, you know, people, consumers are getting more educated. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, more brands and, um, and companies out there that are pushing sustainability initiatives where people are like, are almost asking for a sustainable product more so than like, Oh, that's recycled. Like I'm not going to wear that. So it's been pretty exciting to, um, to kind of see that shift a little bit. And I think we, we've obviously got a long way to go with that, but it's, it's certainly making some good headway. Right. Working in the right direction. Yeah. Um, now before we go in, you know, we're going to talk more about recover, uh, a little bit later here, but I have some like rapid fire kind of questions ranging from, you know, some more normal stuff to some more, you know, silly things that hopefully, uh, (laughs) will get people a kick or, or at least make me chuckle. (laughs) There we go. All right. So the, the first one I got here, which you kind of already answered is, is what is your go-to thing to decompress after work? Yeah, the uh, the mountain bike is is, is definitely the, the the tool of choice for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, next one, you did a lot of camping, backpacking. Do you have a, a go to backpacking meal that you like? Ooh, backpacking meal. Um, I probably stir fry probably as much as anything. I think um, you know, and that can come in the form of more of an Asian stir fry or okay. a, more of a Mexican. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Uh, kind of dish. I feel like that that tends to be the go-to for anything. If I can get some uh, some vegetables and and rice in there, I, that's nice. usually uh, and beans. That's usually the, the the way to go for a good camping meal. Nice. Um, who has been your biggest inspiration in, in environmental stuff specifically? Uh, that's a that's a great um, that's a great question. I you know 
Uh, early on when I was first kind of getting into this, I, I read a couple of uh, Paul Hawkins books that were um, really kind of opened my eyes to a few things um, in, in the kind of environmental world, specifically as it relates to business. Um, okay. he, he wrote a book called Natural Capitalism, which I, um, I got a lot out of early on. Um, so that's uh, th- that was kind of an early early on inspirational um, source. Um, kind of the list kind of goes on and on. I mean, I, I feel like um, it varies quite a bit from you know depending on the topic. But early on, that was definitely uh, definitely one that nice. uh, got me excited on things. Yeah, we'll, we'll I also put a link to that in the notes, just so you know. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate that recommendation. Yeah, yeah, for for sure. And kind of at that same time, when I was um, you know I mentioned earlier uh, when I was getting into um, getting into this and kind of studying different things. I, I, I actually started researching a lot on, uh, environmental or, or green building. Um, essentially when, when I was first starting to recover and, and did a lot of research and actually, you know, became a lead AP and some, and, uh, and read some of his stuff as well that kind of got me fired up on it from that standpoint. Nice. Yeah, I did. I took a green roofs course, um, oh, yeah? senior year in college. That was a, a bunch of fun, but it was also at like seven in the morning. So I might've, might might have taken a few naps in class and had to apologize to the professor. I was like, I swear, I love this stuff, but man, I just I work hard. I'm tired. No doubt. Yeah. Um, I, I I wish I could. Uh, I I definitely wish I could go back and, and retake some of those undergrad courses. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's, sometimes the early ones were a little tough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, do you think uh, that it is possible for human zombies to ever exist? Knowing what we know about that weird fungus thing that like takes over bugs. <laughs> um, well, I'm, you know, I've watched enough that I feel like it's it's bound to happen, uh, right. at least on in TV. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, just for my own personal sanity, um, I'm, I'm going to say no, um, so I don't uh, drive myself crazy. But uh, yeah. the more and more you see zombies on TV, I feel like uh, it, they they seem too real. Do you, and do you think that they would be like the fast zombies or the slow zombies? You know, there's kind of the two, two yeah, main zombie I'll, types. I would, I would guess slow if I, if I had to, and and probably selfishly, you know, I would be. A, I think I could handle a slower zombie a little bit more than the fast zombies, <laughs> yeah. but uh, but I don't know. Yeah, I think the muscle fibers just aren't there anymore. You know, could they really be yeah. that explosive? They're looking like NFL running backs in these movies now. And it's like, uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I yeah. buy it. No doubt. I, I think if I think for that kind of speed and agility, um, we're much more likely to get overtaken by by robots. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> but, right. Yeah, I've seen that video of the robot doing a backflip, and that's a little sketchy. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. <laughs> um, so what are uh, and we we talked about this a bit as well, but what's kind of your favorite part about living in North Carolina, and then uh, what's your least favorite part about it? Yeah, uh, so f- favorite part is definitely the the easy access to, to the mountains and the, the coast. I mean, we're, we're pretty spoiled in that regard. Um, and have, you know, I, I, I would, argue, I would put our coastline and our mountains up against about anything. Um, at the same time, there are some limitations with the mountains. I would love to live in a West coast ski town where I could, um, you know, ski on a daily basis. Um, that would be, uh, that would definitely, um, you know, just make life that much better, but make winter you know, that much better. <laughs> winter that much better, exactly. I wouldn't mind those elevations during the summer too, but um, you know, you, you 
the grass is always greener. You can't have everything right here. So, um, I, you know, I, I think we're, we're very fortunate in that live in a great place. It's also an awesome place for me. Um, I've got so much family that lives around here, um, that it's, uh, it's really fun to, you know, have, you know, my parents, siblings, cousins, all that kind of stuff, uh, close by. So. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky. Boulder's not a ski town, but we have a little resort Eldora that's about, you know, 45 minutes away. So it's, you know, close, close enough. <laughs> I, I, I could do Boulder for sure. You guys, uh, you guys <laughs> have a lot of access. Right? Yeah. Y'all have got a lot of access right there. And, uh, fortunately, you know, get out to, to Colorado quite a bit. I actually was huh, looking at it the other day. I think I've, I've already been to Colorado six times this year. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely a, well. Yeah, it's well. There's just so much going on between you know various trade shows. Sure. Um, our customer base is certainly growing out there, and um, plus there's a, a lot of fun stuff to do. So you got to tie oh, yeah. in a couple extra days to ski or mountain bike, depending on the season. Have you done any climbing outdoors before? Uh, yeah, um, not a, not a ton. But I I tend to like um, mountaineering a little bit more mm-hmm. than you know pure rock climbing. Um, yeah. From a mountaineering standpoint, though, I mean I've um, you know, I've climbed the Grand Teton, uh, Mount Rainier. You know, some some that, some big mountains in the in the U.S. Uh, a good number of times. I've also done some sport climbing, but not something I'm comfortable with from yeah. like a lead climbing standpoint. Um, sure. And I've climbed some really cool areas. I, I just, um, you know, I like to blame it on uh, my, my build's not great for sport climbing. <laughs> no, but it, it's probably just more I need to get in the gym and, and, and work out. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I think you also um, you know, I, I really like to pick hobbies, you know, you can stick to and get good at and, right. you know, like to do a lot of different things. But, uh, you know, it's just I, I wish there were more hours sometimes. Oh, yeah. That, I have that yeah. problem, too. It's like I've been wanting to get into mountain biking more this summer, but then I've just been like getting better at climbing and you know, for you sure. get in shape. Yeah. So I'm in the gym like three times a week and stuff. But, yeah, yeah it's being too when- spoiled almost. <laughs> For, for sure. But, you know, I think there's something to that. And you were talking about it um, early in the conversation where, you know, if you're comparing some of these sports to just life in general and your personality, um, I think that, you know, if you think about it in that context, like I personally love like focusing on something and, and seeing improvements and getting good at it. And um, I think that progression is kind of true in life. You know, you kind of got to dedicate yourself in some capacity mm-hmm. to whatever sport you're, or discipline you're trying to focus on. And um, to really get, you know, pretty good at something, you, you got to spend some time on it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, here's another good one. Uh, do you think <laughs> you could kill an adult brown bear with your bare hands uh, if it doesn't have any teeth or claws? So it's just like, like a raw raw pure pure beer. wrestling yeah pure, pure wrestling i don't know how great Greco, greco-roman is. wrestling um yeah i don't i don't know that i would still uh still know put up is. a good fight on that yeah i mean i i think strength alone would be really tough to contend with i mean yeah. a lot would depend on you know what does that black or brown bear weigh um right. but i i don't maybe I don't, a black bear would have been better now that you mentioned that brown bears are pretty huge yeah, you know, just yeah, I think size would be a big part, but it's it's certainly less intimidating without those those teeth and yeah, claws. Like they um, bat you around a bit, but you know, I I feel like I'd take a bear slap if there's no claws with it. My- exactly, <laughs> with without the claws, you know, there's that's a, that's a whole different game. But <laughs> I'll put it this way: I've I've come across. Um, you know, brown bears, uh, black bears, grizzlies, even in the in the woods, and I've never um, wanted to attempt it at all. So. Never try to sneak up on them. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, 
So uh, would you rather go on a, a normal camping trip to whatever if you have any local favorite spots for a night or have a all-paid stay at a five-star hotel and spa for free? What would be your pick? Man, I'd, I'd, I'd do a um, camping trip for every day of the week. I mean, I, you know, I don't want I, I guess maybe or part of it is I haven't spent a lot of time <laughs> five star hotels and spas to, to even compare it to. But, um, you know, per, for me personally, the, the biggest um, outlet for me is getting outside. You know, I, I think of, you know, we always I always laugh now and um, my girlfriend certainly does, too, where, you know, we talk about like, planning a trip and backpacking or getting outside is, is always what it results to. And I think one of the reasons for that is like. I feel more disconnected doing that than anything. You know, it's, it's hard to get away from work sometimes and, or all the time. (laughs) And I I think getting outside is a, is a real, is an easy way for me to, um, finally disconnect almost because you have to, you know, you lose that cell service, which is a good thing. And, uh, and so from a vacation standpoint or anything, I would, um, I would take getting outside every day of the week. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm right there Uh, with you. I I feel uncomfortable in luxurious places. It's like, yeah, exactly. It feels weird. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you yeah. start overanalyzing it from a sustainability standpoint. Like that shit's wasteful. Why are they doing that? And then it's, then you ruin the vacation for your whole family. Might've done that before. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no doubt. No doubt. Not, not to mention it's uh, way more economical to, to yeah. go outside. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. Um, and last one I got here is, uh, what's one place in the world that is like a must see for you before you die? And then what's one place you'd recommend to other people that you've been to that, that like I got to see before I die? Yeah. Um, so I, I have never been to, to New Zealand and that is, uh, the top of my list. Did you? Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I've wanted to, to travel there for, you know, for years and, um, just have never been able to pull a trip together. Um, obviously you've got to be able to take uh block out a good bit of time yeah, to, to do that flight for like a week or something you try to get, yeah. get a few and I, I almost don't even know if it's worth like i feel like i need to be able to like minimum two weeks um for to sure. go but um for sure. i i um so that's that's number one on my list in terms of places to travel right now yeah um milford sound oh my god yeah yeah, yeah. um w- another place that um you know that i would highly recommend that um you know, just in places I've traveled. Well, first I would say, I think that the, um, places within the U S get underrated a lot. Everybody talks about, Oh, you gotta go international and all these places. And, um, I think that there's so many cool spots within the U S that just get overlooked. And, yeah. and that's, I tend right now I'm probably traveling or like on personal trips just to see things within the U S more than anything. Cause it's way more accessible and a lot easier to get places. Um, you know, especially when you're, you know, own a business and you're working all the time, it's harder to block out the, a couple weeks to go somewhere really sure. far away. Um, so I, I would say that, that I, I'm a big advocate for, you know, traveling within the U S but, um, internationally speaking, um, one of my favorite places that I've, I've spent, um, a good bit of time is in the Pyrenees, uh, mountains kind of right on the, the, the France, Spain border. And to me, the Pyrenees resemble, the Appalachian mountains a lot. Okay. Um, if you're comparing the Pyrenees to the Alps, 
Um, so I think the Alps are kind of, you know, the big, sexy kind of, right. you know, iconic mountains that everybody thinks of for Europe with like all the big ski talents, mountaineering, all that sort of things. And they should be, they're incredible. You know, the, I've, I've spent a lot of time in the Alps too, and, and I love, um, love that area, but the Pyrenees is more of kind of that hidden gem in my opinion. Mm. I, I don't think that it gets the notoriety that, um, you know, the Alps get. So if you're kind of comparing the Appalachian mountains to the Rockies, it's a little bit of a similar vibe okay. of kind of, you know, the big brother in some instances. And, um, I actually was, um, I've spent, a, I, I guess in college, I did a, a semester abroad and spent some time in the Pyrenees, but then, um, after college too, actually was fortunate to, to lead a couple backpacking trips over there as well and got to know that area better and, um, and just really love the, the, love the Pyrenees. That's awesome. Yeah. I've never looked into there before. I'll, I'll definitely have to, to check that out. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I appreciate that recommendation and other people definitely check that out as well. For um, sure. So cool. Thanks for those those quick answers there and yeah. uh, and hanging with my uh, my weirdness. Hopefully it didn't throw you off too much. Um, no, that's good. <laughs> uh, but yeah, now diving back uh, into recover a bit more. The the main thing to me that that stood out about recovery is is like your supply chain like excellence. So I just wonder if you could like like walk me through. I guess how how you kind of went about finding those manufacturers and suppliers and and built this this system like it's it's really really well done so well pre- certainly appreciate that and and i i think you know supply chain when you're you know making a product whether it's a textile like we're doing or, or really any product I, I think it's kind of everything you know you gotta feel good and you know what you're where you're making the product and how you're making it um you know, for us, I, I mentioned earlier, you know, we, of course we use hundred percent recycled materials in our product, but so much of the environmental sustainability around the product is beyond those materials. It's how you're making it. And so, you know, we try to think about, um, you know, not only location of where we're doing it, but partnering up with mills and factories that do it the right way. And, um, that's why, you know, we actually buy the raw material for our products. And then we work with, um, different mills along the way. So we have, um, you know, different factories that we work with on spinning yarn, others that, um, do the knitting, others that do the scouring, others that do cut and sew. And for each product, depending on the region of where we're making it, we find the right fit on what's best for that actual product. And so, um, I think, you know, the supply chain is just, just kind of everything. And I think it has to be really intentional if you're looking at the environmental and social responsibility of the product. Um, you know, it's, we, we, I, we just wouldn't feel good about doing something in a location that, um, you know, we didn't feel good, uh, that we didn't feel like it was up to our standards and kind of up to par with things. And I think you noticed that in the finished product as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And there's in, in that supply chain, there's a, a tie in with Haiti as well, right? That's right. Yep. Yeah. So we, um, where we are in, in North Carolina, we're, um, fortunate that, you know, there's a lot of really good manufacturing, particularly on the, um, the knitting and finishing side of things where we can make fabric here. And then, um, one of our core products, we actually work with a work co-op in Haiti. So we make the fabric here and then we send finished fabric to Haiti for cut and sew. Um, and the cut and sew facility that we work with, um, is actually has, uh, part of a nonprofit um, kind of workforce development program in Haiti where they're aiming to create sustainable jobs in that country and 
the people want the jobs. You know, there yeah. it's it's one of those things where the factory we're in actually pays um, over three times the average um, cut and sew labor cost. Um, so the employees are treated really well, and they're honestly like lining up the, at the door to work there because it is such a good job, and and Haitians need the work. Um, so it's been a really really good program for us in a, in a way for us to give back to that community. Um, the other thing that, you know, thinking about the environmental standpoint, we're only a thousand miles from our factory in, in Haiti that we work with. So if you think about that in proximity, we're actually closer to our factory in Haiti here in North Carolina than we are to Oklahoma city. Um, <laughs> wow. so if you think about like the logistics of that and like, you know, just on a map, the carbon footprint is actually pretty small when you think about it that way. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of intentional things that we do in, in trying to figure out where we're making product. Yeah, absolutely. And a lot of, you know, competitors or others, I guess, doing the teas and stuff or doing things halfway around the world, of course. Um, exactly. And it, it, it's such a, and there's so much inefficiencies to it as well. You know, you see people or see other companies that are you know, making this part of the product here, then sending it across the world and then back. And it's just like, that's so inefficient and creates really long lead times and just, um, not, it wasn't the way we wanted to do it from, from the beginning. And I will say, you know, in setting up the supply chains and you ask kind of how we went about doing that is, um, John, who's my business partner, has uh, I've been really fortunate to have a business partner with a lot of experience. He's actually um, been in the yarn business for and on, which is you know more on the raw on the raw material side of it, but for thirty years. And so he's got a lot of manufacturing expertise and has been a great resource for for me and kind of helping uh, set up those supply chains. Nice, yeah, that's I'm sure invaluable to have people that are you know in the industry already and know the ins and outs quite a bit. Nice clean no canteen, by the way. Props on that. Oh, appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was glad I talked to those guys at OR, and they, they gave me one of their insulated mugs. And I was like, hell yeah, because I, I yeah. didn't have one yet. So <laughs> yeah, they're, they're really good people, too. They uh, they make some nice stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the, the next one, there's there's kind of uh, the a growing awareness around the, the issue of, like, microplastics from, from washing teas. And mm-hmm. I have this kind of, like, internal struggle because it's like okay we have all this plastic out there it needs to be reused textiles makes you know all the sense in the world as a way to use it but now there's you know a lot more cautionary tales i guess about microplastics from washing them and things like that and there's you know some preventative products you can put out there to i guess help capture those when you wash it or something but i was just kind of curious uh like what your thoughts are on on that is that's kind of like an emerging thing for, for sure. And that's, you know, I, a great question. And I, you know, something, a topic that, um, you know, I keep an eye on really on a, a daily basis and just in terms of, you know, educating myself on it and kind of figuring out, you know, the direction that we're going. I, I think it's, um, microplastics are, are one of those things where it's been a, um, it's a newer discovery and something that we're still unclear on of, right. uh, and still a lot of unanswered questions. Um, but I think my, my general approach to it is, um, you know, there's so much excess plastic in the world right now. And we, we try to, we're trying to provide a solution to turn those materials into valuable products that will have long life and, you know, can, can turn it into something new while educating people about environmental sustainability. So ultimately we're trying to 
get people away from using single-use plastics and really stop the plastic problem. We've, we've got to put a stop to it, but at the same time, we've got to clean up a lot of the mess that's already been created. Yeah. You know, you look in the, you look in the U S alone, you know, we've got a, our recycling rate is, um, is pretty horrendous. I mean, it's only 21%. Poor, yeah. yeah. It's, it's just terrible. And so I think there's, there's still a long way to go in trying to increase that rate and, and reuse a lot of the materials that are out there. So, um, I think about our brand in a lot of ways and using recycled plastics, um, I always compare it to a nonprofit. So, you know, a nonprofit in a lot of ways exists because there's a problem in the world. Mm. And, and so the goal, the goal of, you know, in theory, the goal of any nonprofit is to kind of put itself out of business. Right. So they're trying to put an end to whatever problem is out there. They might, you know, they might pivot and I'm not saying every nonprofit's trying to go out of business, but they are trying, they do exist because of a problem. And so, um, you know, from our standpoint, I think about using recycled plastic a lot of the same way. Right now, I think it, the best thing we can do is to turn it into other new materials and yeah, other products that do have long life. Um, but ultimately, we're trying to put an end to that. I would love nothing more than if, you know, in 20 years, we're sitting down talking and, you know, plastic single-use plastics and plastic pollution is not a problem and we've shifted away from it completely and at that time we don't need to make apparel out of recycled plastic anymore at, at that time we would look towards another material right. and and whatever else is the most sustainable material at the time but i think right now where we are the best thing we can do is reuse that and put it into new products yeah, um that that lasts a long time in terms of the microplastics in general and just kind of shedding and washing machines, which is really the, the biggest problem we're, we're seeing, right. um, I think the most practical solution for that in the short term is going to be um, washing machine filters, um, whether that's putting something in the washing machine um, with your with your laundry or actually you know making some changes to the utilities and how washing machines are actually being built. The problem with that is there's so many washing machines already out there right, that I think a fill for the next 20 years or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. You're not, it's, it's the same. It's that's like saying, you know, we're going to make the shift to driverless cars right away. Like right. it's, that's not, it takes time. It's not, it's not, it's not like the, you know, the, um, you know, a light switch where you're making an immediate change. So I think a more practical solution is probably filters in washing, mach- washing machines. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also it's important to note too with microplastics because we hear this quite a bit. It's oh, re, you know, recycled uh, polyester is going to shed microplastics. Well, while that we might while recycled plastics might be susceptible to that, it's all synthetic materials. Right. It's not just recycled, right. and I think that true. gets overlooked a little bit um, when people are trying to find a problem with recycled plastics. Um, and also to that point. I think in, you know, we're talking a lot about outdoor sports and, you know, being active, kind of lead, leading an active lifestyle. And I, I it's, hard for, there. it's hard for me to imagine a world without synthetics. I, right. I think it's going to be really hard to convince a surfer, a runner, a mountain biker, a climber to start wearing cotton, you know, there, um, or, or other natural fibers. I th- there's some that are good, al- that are good alternatives, you know, wool, for example, and, and some other things, but there's not enough wool supply and it's yeah. too expensive to, 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 yeah, it's, it's not, very it's practical. just not, it's, it's, it's so. not practical. And I, I don't think it's realistic for that shift to happen. So I, I, I think that, 
you know, asking the textile world to, to move away from synthetics entirely is not a practical approach. I, I think it's going to come more on some of the, on the utility side, whether it's washing machine filters right. and that sort of thing. Yeah, as you said, like as we identify, I guess, and, and more people become aware of these problems, other solutions will come out to it, like you said, with filters and whatnot. Uh, exactly. But there's an existing massive problem right now in the, the pr- plastic that's already been produced that we need to find a use for. So, Exactly. Um, yeah. So I, th- I think that first and foremost, that's just, you know, that's at least our philosophy on it right now. And, you know, th- like everything, you were asking about pivots earlier. I-, I think that keeping an eye on it and keeping an open mind to it is is critical, you know, just to, to figure out, you know, what is the best solution. But right now, I, th- I think th- that's at least my take on it and, and kind of no, where we stand with it. It makes things. a lot of sense. And I, I think you're the, the credible source who's, I'm sure, looked into <laughs> this stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I appreciate your thoughts on that. Um, yeah. And uh, where where do you hope to see kind of recover grow into in the in the next you know five to ten years? Yeah, I mean, we definitely want to continue to 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 grow and evolve into to really the leader in sustainable apparel and and sustainable textiles. I think um, you know we're seeing a lot more momentum um, around this category right now, which is really exciting for us because. You know, even in the last year or so, there people are talking about it a lot more, and there's a lot more consumer demand. And the fact that we've been doing it for nine years now, I think, which is hard to believe in itself, it's been that long. But um, I think as we look at the next, you know, ten years, twenty years, um, is really to kind of continue to grow into that space and, and help set the trends and drive the educational aspects and really kind of push the envelope forward into doing things the most sustainable way possible. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a, a great kind of goal to set forth for yourself and challenge yourself yeah. with. Yeah. Um, now to to wrap up here, we're we're coming closing in on an hour, which has been great. Um, yeah. I I got a couple questions I just kind of like to ask everybody that we've talked to. Um, yeah. So I'll run them by you real quick. So the the first one is how would you go about explaining the the concepts of sustainability to a toddler or you know, small child, the next generation, if you will. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I think if you're, you know, you're talking with uh, a toddler, I, I, you know, I'll, I'll use my, my niece and nephew who are three and six as an example. And um, the biggest thing, you know, I try to try to share with them if I'm trying to get them excited about it is, is really to think about the things that they're doing as individuals, you know, and in educating them to, you know, practice that kind of leave no trace mentality of, of leaving things better than you found them. I think that that's an easy way for someone that young to, to try to actually get the messaging across. So whether that's, you know, them being outside and like, okay, they're eating their snacks, whatever, or like hanging out, like, no, you got to pick up after yourself. It's the same concept of like, no, you got to pick up your toys, like leave things better than you found them. So I think if you're going that young, um, that's a, that's a big approach with it. And then you can kind of tie it in. I, I like to tie it in with wildlife to them a lot yeah. as well. And like, you know, talking about fish and, and marine life and, and just being at the ocean, you know, we, I think that's a really relative way for them. I, I know my nephew who's six in particular gets really, um, excited, uh, you know, about, or, well, I shouldn't even say excited. He takes like littering so seriously like he i mean it's 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 awesome he's just like i can't believe they would do that and you know getting them kind of excited about it that way but then also like he's super in tuned i mean it's um 
somebody had, we were at the beach, uh, earlier this summer and, you know, he was, he was telling everybody about, you know, the sunscreens that they should use and, <laughs> and so now, great. you know, and he was like, Oh no, no, you can't use that. It'll, um, it's bad for the coral reefs. And, you know, I think just talking about it and getting them excited about, you know, it from that standpoint is, is really important. So, you know, generally I think is, is, if you're talking to a young, uh, a young kid like that, it's, uh, just trying to make it relative for them and something that they can relate to and, and, and tie into their personal life. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love the note about building in the, the love and appreciation for other animals. I mean, that's, yeah. that's kind of where a big no part of mine stemmed from is I've always just loved animals. And yeah. and then when I grew up and was realizing more and more how much we're kind of screwing over every other species, it was like, well, yeah. You know, maybe I can help do something about it. No doubt. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in, in your own lifestyle, I guess, what do you think are, are some of the things that, you know, you could work on to, to be more sustainable? I don't want to intimidate people out of, you know, doing it because they're like, oh, these people are too perfect or whatever. You know, everybody has their challenges. So no doubt. And that's, I think that's a great question. It's something you have to all, or at least I ask myself, you know, really every day of like, you know, what, what can you do to kind of curb your, your waste and usage and, and be more sustainable. And I think one of the big things I try to think about is, is making it almost a game to try to be zero oh, yeah. waste of, of, you know, really thinking about, okay, when you get up, like, what am I doing that is literally zero waste? You know, how am I drinking? I love drinking coffee. How am I, you know, drinking coffee in the morning? Am I composting my grounds? Am I, you know, making sure I'm never, you know, getting to go cups, that sort of thing, thinking about it that way. Um, and I think if you do that throughout the day, you know, you can, you can kind of have, have those games and I'm, it's kind of the point where I really don't have any waste, like going out of my house in terms of stuff nice. that's going to the landfill. It's pretty much all compost and recyclables. Um, the, the toughest thing for me that I need to work on and try to do better with is like, I feel like, um, getting food to go is a, is a really tough, yeah, tough thing. Yeah, really it's, busy it, person. It's, yeah, yeah. there's, you know, and, or when you're traveling and things, right, um, right. sometimes it's, it's challenging to, uh, you know, when you're grabbing food on the run and I try to think about that. Sometimes you just don't plan far enough ahead though. If you're, you know, or for me at least, you know, if it's bringing my lunch or, or something along those lines and it, it always bothers me if I'm, if I'm on the road and don't, have, you know, got to stop somewhere for lunch and you get something quick and, you know, there's waste associated with it. So mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest thing that I need to, to work on. And personally is just making sure I'm eliminating that entirely. Right. Yeah. A lot of it with the, the, eating specifically is like planning ahead of found it's yeah, which no is doubt. difficult to do when you're focused on a million other things you know yeah for sure it's real difficult um, yeah but, but it's but it's it, it is doable though if you're if you're if you know you're committed to it and and work on it and i like you know most of the time i am pretty good about it but um you know sometimes it, it that, that that'd be an area that I'm not, I'm definitely not, not perfect in any way. Absolutely. So. Yeah. And, and, and on your note on games too, I've tried kind of a similar thing with my like water use. Uh, so I, and it, and it helps, although I may not, you know, maintain that super strict level of like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, see, use the least amount of water possible in my shower. Right. I was like peeing. I was challenging one of my friends. I was peeing in my backyard for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, basically, it, it at least makes you hyper aware so that, 
you know, the, the habits that might carry over from that, though they might not be quite as extreme when you were, you were like really challenging yourself or, you know, playing that game, you still cut down on that use of water, whatever it might be like big time. And, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good game. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. Key in the backyard game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And uh, last one here is uh, there's a lot of people, you know, in that kind of college like transitional period struggling to match up, you know, the work with the passion, which is obviously something you've been able to do. So um, I just wonder if you have any advice for, for people at those uh, times in their lives and, and what you yeah. kind of recommend them to do. Yeah, for sure. I'm, I mean, you know, I think everybody's situations are, are different. You know, it, it kind of depends on you know, what opportunities are ahead or, you know, in some scenarios, you know, there might be a greater need to, to move into a job where, you know, there, you can't take the risk necessarily on starting your own thing, um, financially or, or that sort of thing. It just, it, there's so many different circumstances. So I think the biggest thing I would recommend to anyone, whether, you know, you're an aspiring entrepreneur or somebody just trying to pursue your passions is, um, and probably more so to the person just trying to pursue their, their, their passions would be, you know, find a job that you're comfortable with, but make sure that you're volunteering and spending time outside of work that, on things that you're passionate about. Yes. I, I think not everybody is going to move into an entrepreneurial role where you have your own business and, um, and you're doing something that you're passionate about right away, but you can find companies that have the same core values that you're looking at, uh, or that, that you care about. So, you know, if you're looking for a job, you know, what does that company stand for and trying to work for, for companies that, ha- that share those beliefs, or if, you know, you're, you're in another job, like, you know, spending time volunteering and giving back to your community in things that you care about, you know, I, our, the initiatives and a lot of the philanthropic things we do at recover are, are fortunate that, you know, we're able to kind of volunteer and give back through work. But a lot of that is like volunteer related stuff. You know, it's so I, I think you can still do those things, even if you're not working for a company or even if it's not your, your your own business or your own job, you can you can have your day to day job and then still give back and get involved with community aspects that you care about. Um, so I think that's that's as important as anything. And I, I I would encourage anyone, um, you know, to get involved and, and be active in the community and volunteer. I think those are important things to do for, for, you know, any kind of healthy citizen for a community. Yeah, absolutely. That's a, that's great advice. Um, and with that, we'll, we'll leave off on that note. So, uh, thank you so much, Bill. I really appreciate your time and, and, you know, the nine years of your life you've, you've dedicated to building a, a great company. It's really, really, uh, an impressive feat. <laughs> Well, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, I really enjoyed the, the conversation today and appreciate you having me on. This was fun. Absolutely. And uh, remember, guys, check them out. Their website's recoverbrands.com. Um, and same goes with the social media. Check them out on Instagram as well and things like that. Um, and, of course, if you want an Alta t-shirt, that's, <laughs> that's also yeah. made by Recover. It'll show off their the quality textiles there. Um, but, yeah, that wraps it up. Uh, so remember, everybody protect your wild thanks again you guys for listening to yet another episode what a fascinating dude what a cool company Uh, make sure you check them out at recover brands and make sure you subscribe to the podcast we're gonna try to get some athletes and other types of people on soon to talk about all sorts of shit so i'm stoked for that and i hope you are too uh yeah and don't forget to check out our website outthelifestyle.com 
and the music is over, so uh, I should shut up now. Catch you next week.